we are. Let's build something together is the theme of this message. For some of you that aren't regulars here, Pastor Judd is at a speaking engagement in Virginia on his way back. And uh, Andrew and his family are in Florida on vacation. So I'm the source of your uh, inspiration today, I hope, and that will come through God's Word alone. So as we review, real quick, the big picture, you know from the beginning, Abraham was chosen after the fall of man, the flood, Abraham's chosen. There's an Abrahamic covenant. It says, I'm going to bless your people. They're going to be enormous, Abraham. We move through Genesis. Moses is chosen to go and lead his people out of bondage. Exodus 19, I've chosen you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the Mosaic Covenant. So Israel is chosen to be the mouthpiece for God. And we see bookended in Revelation chapter 1 that we are chosen. We will be the kingdom of priests that were talked about in Exodus chapter 19. Back to Exodus, then we move through the desert, the wilderness time. We then find Joshua appointed and then named, and he goes through and he's conquers the land just like God had said, and then we have the period of the judges and we're up and down and up and down. Kingdom of David is established. His son Solomon takes over and then there's a split. And from there we have the period of the judges and it's just a debacle. And we have Isaiah then prophesying, Jeremiah prophesying, Ezekiel prophesying, you guys better wake up, you better straighten up because we're going to smash you and obliterate you and scatter you and that's exactly what happened over the course of four or five hundred years. Nehemiah finds us at the end of the Old Testament. While that's not the way it's sequenced in your Bible, it is at the the end of the the Old Testament as we know it. And so, this is where we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 9. In the fulfillment of what was prophesied by Jeremiah, we see Babylon destroyed. The Israelites granted permission to go back. Ezra had preceded Nehemiah. In our study of Nehemiah, Ezra preceded him from Cyrus. Eighty years follow, Nehemiah comes. He sees the temple rebuilt after it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And now he sees that Jerusalem doesn't have any walls around it. It's in rough shape. Judd took us through in chapter 1 about God's vision. In chapter 2, we learned about God's plan before the king, permission and provision before the people, examination and excitement. In chapter 3, we learned about God's work for God's glory alone in an orderly and systematic way. We're going to look at that just briefly. Then we talked about Judd preached on opposition, both inside and outside of the church, inside and outside Jerusalem. It's no different. This thing, our reading today that you're going to see is so parallel with your life, it's scary. This word is relevant in our lives. While it may have been written 3,000 years ago, In chapter 7, we see the transition from rebuilding to reforming. So the big picture of Nehemiah, you have two parts. Chapters 1 through 6 is the reconstruction of the wall, and chapter 7 through 13 is the restoration of the people. Last week, we learned about the Reformation. They discovered the law, they brought it to the people, and they read it to all who could understand, men, women, and children. And we know from the parable of the sower that in Matthew chapter 13, what does the enemy do when the word is sown? and people don't understand, he comes to snatch it out of their heart. Okay, so we're going to see some interesting dialogue, an interesting recap 
from Nehemiah today in chapter 9. Israel confesses their sins. So they've heard from God. They've heard from the law. The elders and the leaders in Ezra have read the law to them and they realize their own sin. Not different than you and I. James says we need to be reading the Word of God and it's a reflection of our heart. And we need to examine ourselves daily. Paul tells us, examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk and do that later. So in chapter 9, we see a very cogent, straightforward articulation of Israel's history. We see Nehemiah, who's been inspired by God. Not different than you and I now having the Holy Spirit in us. He's been given a mission and he exercises just rational, logical, cogent thinking. All the way up through here in Nehemiah 9, we see him provide clear direction, cogent plan, and effective means. We see him organize. We see him coordinate. We see him assign people and he's got this thing built. And now we see him take the next, next step in that. Okay, now we've got the exterior. Now we need to work on the interior. We need to look at God's Word and see what it has to say about us. There are so many prevailing voices in this world and on campus. There are so many worldviews out there. And what we're going to see today, praise God, is Scripture provide a framework for these people. Not different than those walls, we see that Scripture provides a framework through which these people can operate in their lives and which they can conduct their services and conduct their communities and conduct themselves as a nation. That's why it's important to read God's Word. And you're going to see them follow what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy in chapter 3, he tells Timothy, in chapter 2, he tells Timothy, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And they're going to do that. I wonder where Paul got that idea. It's interesting. All through Scripture, at the end of Deuteronomy, you see, Deuteronomy is just three messages given by Moses. It's a look at the past, it's a look at the past. It's where we are today, and it's a ratification of the covenant for the future. And he just looks back and he just recounts everything that happens. You see, all through the 78 and 105 of the Psalms are just recaps of history. And today we're going to see that that is exactly what Nehemiah does. He just recaps God's goodness. And so we're going to read that and apply it to our lives. For us today, we aren't where Nehemiah is, where they just had the law. Today, we have the New Testament that gives us the explanation, the administration, and the application of the Christian life. As you watch TV, as you read your newspapers, we send our kids off to campuses, you attend a zillion different churches, you read a thousand books, and you hear different tapes, and there's just this cacophony of voices that is fighting that's pulling at your worldview and your model for how to look at this world, how to operate, how am I going to raise my kids, what church am I going to go to, how am I going to gauge how they operate that church, how am I going to raise my family, how am I going to treat my wife, 
How am I going to operate in my workplace? We need something to help us to provide a framework or a lens through which we can do all these things. And that's God's Word. You can go... You know this. I don't need to even need to say it. You can go anywhere and you're going to get a thousand different ways to run a church. You can go to a thousand different churches and see a thousand different ways to run a church. You can get to go to a college campus and there are a hundred different viewpoints on worldview. One young man went to college campus and was asked by his uh, first time there, and he, he's asked by his campus director there. You're in the class for the first time. He said, let's just start. It's a new semester. Let's start. Real simple. Everybody knows the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's just start with the story of the Good Samaritan. How many people know that story? Everybody raises their hand. Sam raises his hand. He's a new guy. He said, Sam, would you like to tell us the story of the Good Samaritan? He said, I'd love to tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. He said, well, good. Why don't you share that with us? Break the ice. This will be good. He said, okay. He said, well, once there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked him. And he went on, and he didn't have no money. And he met the Queen of Sheba. And she gave him a thousand talents of gold and a hundred changes of raiment. And he got into a chariot and drove furiously. And when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair caught on a limb on that tree, and he hung there many days. And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink, and he ate 5,000 loaves of bread and two fishes. One night, he was hanging there asleep. His wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he dropped and fell on stony ground. But he got up and went on, and it began to rain. And it rained and rained for 40 days and 40 nights it rained. And he hid himself in a cave, and he lived on wild locusts and honey. Then he went on until he met a servant who said, come take my supper at my house. And he made an excuse and said, no, I'm not going to go there. I married a wife and I can't go. And the servant went on into the highways and the hedges and compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came down there to Jericho. And when he got up there, he looked up and he saw that old Queen Jezebel sitting down up there on a window. And she laughed at him. And he said, throw her down out there. And they threw her down out there. And he said, throw her down again. And they threw her down 70 times 7. And of the fragments that remained... They picked up 12 basketfuls besides women and children. And they said, blessed are the peacemakers, P-I-E-C-E. Now, whose wife do you think will be on Judgment Day? And that was Sam's recall of the Good Samaritan story. On Friday night, when Lori and I went down to Fort Collins, the regional director for FCA asked me to come and give him a message about the importance of church, to get these kids plugged into a local church. And I read that story, and there wasn't any laughter. And afterwards, one of the kids, is as solid as a 21-year-old kid can be and trying to make it away, he said, that wasn't right, was it? I said, no, that wasn't right. He said, man, I started to laugh and looked around, didn't see anybody laughing. I didn't know if that was right or not. Now, praise God, we hear this thunderous laughter in here because you know that that is not true. Yet every single solitary word in here comes from the Bible. We can't take text out of context, make it pretext, and build a doctrine on it. We have to let the Bible... What's the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. We've got to let that speak to itself and speak to us and surround ourselves with men and women who understand that and who challenge each other. And isn't it interesting? Where do you think Paul got the model for the church, the New Testament church? And Judd's going to preach on Titus, and then we're going to study it in our small groups. 
the model for the New Testament church in Titus, you write there's three pastoral epistles written. In Titus, he gives us a model. Set up elders. Where do you think he got that? In the Old Testament. All the way back to Exodus, all the way through in here, the elders of the people. Now, what does he leave out? Priest. Why? Christ is a priest. But he still has elders. Isn't that interesting? And he sets it all up. What are the qualifications for it? This is what the women should do. This is what the children should do. This is what the employees, slaves at that time should do. So anyway, unless we are careful to examine Scripture like Nehemiah and like the Israelites are going to do here that we're going to do together this morning, we will end up with a story like we just heard. You'll hear people give you all kinds of stuff, tell her, and Maggie as you go to school and everybody else. You'll hear all kinds of things. And we, as the elders of Eagle Bible Church, want you to see through the lens of the Bible, through Bible, reason, experience, and tradition, that breadth that we're all learning, and say, that's not true. That, doesn't sound, that sounds funky. That's our desire. So let's pile in. Nehemiah in chapter 9, the Israelites confess their sins. We're going to read this whole thing. It's probably the easiest text certainly in Nehemiah, maybe in Scripture, to give a lesson on. And I'm grateful to the Lord that He's allowed Judd to be gone and me to fill in at this one because we're just going to read and make parallels. In First Timothy, again, Second Timothy, First Timothy 4.13, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because through that we also learn from Paul in Second Timothy 3.15, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Something supernatural happens when we read God's Word together. So, here we go. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in their place and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. The 24th day of the same month. Verse 1. Just remember that we just finished the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember in Judd talked, they went out and gathered some sticks and twigs and they had booths inside the walls and just celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. That was to last for seven days. That started on the 15th. 15 and 7 is, help me out, 22. This is the 24th day. These people could have dissipated, but they didn't. We see here these people, Israelites, decision and obedience to stay deliberate. Deliberately stay. We have not had enough. We're starving. Can we have some more? Let's say sure. They didn't they weren't required to be there, but there's a great assembly gathered. In verse three, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law the procedure that they went through. First and foremost, we're going to have another little gathering. What's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to publicly read God's word. What did Timothy tell what did Paul tell Timothy? Timothy, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture. Isn't that interesting? I want you to be as fascinated and exhilarated by this today as I am because I had a ball preparing it, reading it. Standing on the stairs were the Levites, Joshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, Kenai, who called with loud voices to the Lord. They were one in voice, one in spirit. And the Levites, Joshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shnebiah, who's pregnant here? You've got some names here. To... If you... Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for He who is from everlasting to everlasting. So here we start. 
a prayer of praise to the Lord. I don't know if it's all in unison. I presume it's Ezra who's praying this prayer. And our goal here, what we want at Eagle Bible Church, is everybody to come up here, put this microphone, and give a cogent articulate articulation of history of the Old Testament just like this. And then just carry it right on through to the Gospels and the early church and the epistles and everything else. That's what we desire. Because that way we have a very solid framework and a crystal clear lens that we have fallen away from God. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. That He has sent His Son. That He has risen from the dead. First Corinthians 15 lays it out very clearly for you. That he has, He's going to come again. He's going to judge us and He's going to give us eternal life. We want that from Genesis to Revelation. We want everybody here to be able to articulate that. And listen to this. This is, this is impressive. This is a prayer. I wish I could pray like this. I wish I had such a solid grasp of Scripture that it would roll off like this. Beginning in Genesis. Blessed be Your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. We exalt the Lord when we approach Him. It's not hit your knees and, oh Lord, you've got to help me. Let's recognize who we go to first. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship You. I like what Dale Ralph Davis said. If you ignore redemption, you lose the cross. If you ignore creation, you lose the world. He recognizes his tininess, his insignificance to God. Just how small we are, how big we think we are. Ask my wife. How big I think I can be sometimes. How smart, how everything, how all self-sufficient. And he recognizes that right out of the gate to all the people. Look how small we are. Look at what God has given us. You are the Lord who chose Abraham. Who does the choosing? God, sovereign election of Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God chooses Abraham. God has called us. We water, we plant, but who brings the increase? Amen. The Lord does. You are the Lord who chose Abraham, brought him out of Ur and Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found in his heart faithful. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites because of his faith. It was accredited to him as righteousness. And in Romans we learn that same thing. That's how we come into communion with God. It is by faith that we come into communion. And it's accredited to us as righteousness. Here we go. You found his heart faithful. Give his descendants Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and all the other parasites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and the people of the land, and you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way that they were to take. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Who is the light in the New Testament? Amen. And there is judgment. God exacts His judgment. He is with His people and He will come against those who come against us. He is our protector, our redeemer, and our friend. You came down on Mount Sinai. You can just see Him working His way. Genesis 15, Exodus 13, Exodus 19. Here we are in verse 13. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go on and and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. And we learn in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 4, it's an easy one, 10-4. 10-4. We learn that rock is who? That rock is Christ. And he recognized that they were... Deuteronomy chapter 27 says the same thing. They recognized God was that rock. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember to listen and failed to remember the miracles. They're failing, failing, failing. What is their failing a result of? Not remembering. That's why quiet time is so important. That's why gathering and fellowship encourage one another. Do not forsake the assembling of believers to get together to remind ourselves what God has done. He's recounting all these miracles. Look at the miracle He's done in your life. That rock now pours forth. It's the rock of Christ. We live on living water. He provided water for Him there. Now we have the living water flowing from within us. We need to just be conscious and diligent about doing this every single week and often, and especially when you're on your own and in quiet time. They refused to listen and failed to remember. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving and gracious God. How many times have you forgotten? How many times have you got distracted? How many times have you thought your agenda is more important than God's agenda? We do it all the time. We do it every day. But He's a gracious and forgiving God. James 2.19 tells us that, doesn't it? He's slow to anger and abounding in love, verse 17 says. Where do you think James got that? Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies, even as far as going as far as sacrificing their own babies to Molech. That is why God obliterated them, among other things. If we don't stay focused, and if we don't stay true to God's Word, and you aren't in accountability groups, and you aren't in quiet time, and you aren't in communion with the Lord daily, and weekly, and monthly, and annually, in every part of your being, we can get distracted and head down a path that is entirely misguided. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Pro-choice? It can be an alternative lifestyle. Come on. We can get misguided and just derail an entire generation. We have to stay true to God's Word. Verse 19. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them. God's patience and provision. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the 
pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna. You remember that? You gave your good spirit to instruct them. It's 1 John 2.27. That He has given us His Holy Spirit. We do not need an instructor. Again, why did Paul leave out the priest when setting up the church structure but still assigned elders? We have a priest, Jesus. The Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us, instructing us here. Verse 20. You did not withhold your manna from them. We have the Word of God by every word that proceeds out of His mouth. For 40 years you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. You know you can find that in Psalm 105 and you can find it in Deuteronomy. That their clothes didn't even wear out. That's provision. Worried about your job? We are. We are. Several of you, I'm sure. God will provide. I had breakfast with a young man, the regional director, young man, anointed man, godly young man. Yesterday, he's on his campaign. He's 50% raised. We've got some folks here that are having challenges raising their money. And I asked him, I said, bro, are you okay if God has you go back to work? You have to pick up a job. I suppose. I said, you better get that way. Am I going to be okay if in March no contracts are extended, none of my stuff works, None of these presentations come up. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Am I going to trust God? Eric, can I have that house back? Yes, sir. I'll cry like a baby, but you can have it. Are you okay with that? He's our provider. He'll provide. Don't worry. Forty years you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor their feet become swollen. Are you committed? We always talk about 35 years. I don't know why. I think Judd wants to retire at 70. But anyway, that number is stuck in our head. We're looking at this. We're making a plan, and we're going to unveil it. And it's this little road map. And you're going to see 35 years, Eagle Bible Church is going to be here. Are you people committed to this church for 35 years? For the next 35 years? Think we'll have some wrestling matches? Think we'll have some disagreements along the way? Think the leadership may not get arrogant and testy from time to time? Think we'll smack a rock and call it what we did? Mm -hmm. We need you good folks to hold us accountable. And along the way, we might have to actually pull in some reins and give you some stern exhortation, maybe admonish you, maybe correct or rebuke. Ooh, they're New Testament terms. That's what Paul said. That's okay. And you do the same to me and Judd, and Andrew, and vice versa. But the question on the table is, are you committed for the next 40 years to this church? This is God's model for changing culture. That the aliens look in. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when the alien comes to you, when they recognize that God is your God and they come to you, make sure you give them what they need. When Solomon is ordained as king and he's praying and God's praying through him and God's actually speaking to him, we learn that the, he's going to have so much wisdom that nations are going to come to him. A few chapters later, guess what you find? Queen of Sheba, what she do? Something's going on there. Solomon, can we have some of that? A few chapters later, you see other nations pulling their chariots up. Whoa, hey, where's Solomon? Because we know something's going on here. Evangelism explosion. 
Absolutely. We send our people to get trained by it. Believe in it? Are you joking me? Absolutely. We have a heart for the lost. We want to see people saved. But we've got to get our walls restored. We've got to get so strong and so wonderful and so loving and so shiny. Let our light shine that people start looking in. And we go out and you administer the Gospel and you say, now what? Now you need to come to church. Every sphere of influence covered in here is it's a large sphere. And as you witness to those people and they see that your life is different, you say, you need to come to church. You need to come under the fold. Come into a protective fold. We've got good people here. We've got great people here. They'll love you. They'll care for you. That's what we're talking about. Forty years. Are you committed forty years? God was committed to those people for forty years. He gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them, verse 22, the remotest frontiers. They took over the countries of Sihon, king of Heshbon, country of Og and Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land that you told your fathers to enter and possess. Their sons went in and took possessions of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanites over to them, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possessions of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug. Vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. The great provider. There's a whole, there's just a paragraph of just Joshua. He's just started at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Here we are at Joshua. We just finished it. But, Joshua then judges. That's a sad book. And they follow the Lord and then they turned away. And then they follow and they turned away. It's just up and down and up. So here we go in Judges. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Sound familiar? does to me. But you put your law behind their back. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets and had, who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you, from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers, deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. How often, daily we talked about this earlier, we put God's law behind us and we seek our own selfish interests. Daily. Take up your cross daily. As soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your, in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. We're working our way through the major prophets. When they cried out again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. Oh, we serve a good God. We can go to Him. He is slow to anger, abounding in compassion and mercy. All you got to do is fall on your face and repent. You warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you can look at a little timeline here and see about 900 years of patience. Are you patient with your leadership? Are you patient with your husband? We serve a patient God. And we are to reflect His character. 
And there is judgment, absolutely. And there are timelines and there's order. We've seen Nehemiah display marvelous leadership. And there's timelines. They did it miraculously in 52 days, but he synthesizes, he coordinates, he trains and mentors, he instructs, he applies it, and then he deploys the people. And that's what we have to do. And we have to be patient, but we've got to be diligent. We serve a patient God. Praise God. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen for many years. You were patient with them. By your spirit, you admonished them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, unbelievable, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Verse 32, the righteousness of God's justice. Now therefore, O God, our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love, don't let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. Assyria came. Babylon came. Greece comes. Persians come first. Excuse me. He's reasoning. Where do you think he got that? He's almost not arguing. He's reasoning with God. Come, let us reason together. Isaiah chapter 1. Isn't that right? Maybe two, I can't remember. First part of Isaiah. Let's reason together. This man knows Scripture. Come on, Lord. Don't let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. We've suffered enough. Is it okay to ask for provision and all these things to our God? Absolutely. We need to be praying. We need to be diligently praying for each other's vocations so that we can provide for our families. So we, like Abraham, can be a blessing. Be blessed to be a blessing. I'm not talking about health and wealth. But provision, it's just fine. Let us reason together through Scripture and through the Word. Don't let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, O Lord. In all this, verse 33, in all that has happened to us, you have been just. You've acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers did not follow your law. They didn't pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. Ezekiel chapter 34. You can go there and read. And it's Isaiah, I believe it's 9, early on in Isaiah. God talks specifically and directly to the elders. It says elders. And He said, you have misled my people. And for that, you will be judged. And He brings a hammer. Help us. Pray for us. Hold us accountable. We just want to Lead humbly and gently and faithfully, you people, and vice versa. And men, be encouraged, be inspired, be hopeful. Help us in leadership. Women, same. Let's do this together. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers didn't follow your law. They didn't pay attention to your commanders or the warnings you gave them, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, America. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Verse 36, but see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, this man recognizes who the problem is with. He recognizes his own sin. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you placed over us. 
They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We're in great distress. Verse 32, don't let all this hardship seem trifling, Lord. And he just recounts it all. We're in great distress. Can you help us out? We just read all these miracles that you performed, all the things that you can do, how you provided for these people time after time. But we also read, Lord, that if we repent and confess our sin, you're faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Please, help me lead my family. Help me lead my wife where submission isn't a dirty word, but it's a joy. We're dying for my wife and meeting every one of her needs and taking her coffee in the morning and, and praying together over her and, and disciplining my children and loving my children. That's not a burden. It's a joy. Help me, Lord. Give me your spirit that we just read about. He just recounts Scripture and we reason with God through Scripture. And you can see that here. But we have to have a grasp of Scripture in order to be able to do that. Or else we end up like Sam telling a crazy, funny story about the Good Samaritan. And it is funny. Praise God you guys are laughing. It was silent Friday night. And there's some solid kids in there. Don't get me wrong. I don't know why they weren't laughing. Maybe it was the way I read it. Maybe it was the deliverer. But that, bless that kid's heart. I was going to laugh, but then I got to thinking, is that the right story? But apply that to your own life. I mean, I want, I, we, we want you to be discerning. We want you to Bible, reason, experience, and tradition. Don't base everything that you do based on experience. Well, my experience, I had a horrible experience in church one time. And I'll never be a member of a church again. Don't do that. No, it's what's the Bible say? Logically, how does this work out? What was your experience? Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, I don't know. What's traditional authority say? Let's look through the lens of Bible, reason, experience. What's your epistemological view? Let's be cogent, logical thinkers. I just can't. I can't study and I can't learn. It's hard for me. That's okay. Come on. Get in our community groups. Let's study together. Let's reason together. Let's, let's fight the good fight. Just commit to us. 35, 40 years. Whatever it takes. Praise the Lord. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. Lord, all these people that we read about that I won't go try to pronounce again, all of us, putting it in writing, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests, and we're affixing our seals over it. And Judd will pick up in chapter 10 next week all the leaders and then verse 28 of the next chapter, the rest of the people and the priests, they actually wrote their name on an agreement. I know that's spooky. He's going to mention that membership covenant, isn't he? <clears throat> I just might. We covenant to love you. We covenant to protect you. We covenant to pray for you. We covenant to help you if you get behind on your rent. We covenant to serve you. Yeah. We might just ask you to write your name down. But we'll let Judd talk about And that's God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He made man, and man sinned. And our life was separated from God, spiritually speaking. And no matter how, you can go through this little timeline, you can go all the way to Jesus' birth. All those laws and sacrifices and every good thing you do cannot replace the sin that you've committed. No matter how many good deeds you do, your sin cannot be replaced by good deeds. But paying the price for sin, praise God, 
Jesus died and He rose again. And everyone who trusts in Him alone, not Allah, and not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any of these other others, but Christ alone. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everyone who trusts in Him alone will have eternal life. And living with Him means living with Jesus and all of us together forever. Now to some of you, me talking, that's a bad thing. Because you don't want to be with me forever. But God will put us on opposite ends of the earth. Or He'll change your heart to love me. That's the Gospel. And how many people read the Proverbs today? Men? Okay. In Proverbs today, shame on you. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Now we know that the beginning of knowledge is what? Hmm? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we really love the Lord, we're going to hate our sin. We want to hate sin. And praise God, He does too, and He sent His Son to die for us. We've got to hate our sin. Won't you allow Him in your heart today, if you haven't done that, and invite His Son and Holy Spirit to begin a transforming and renewing process? If you haven't made that decision today, and I don't know everybody here, I know a lot of you, if you haven't made that decision, please make that decision today. We will pray, and then we're going to administer the Lord's Supper. So bow your heads with me. Holy Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for faithful saints who have gone before us and have taken the time to write it down. And faithfully over thousands of years have transcribed it and passed it along to us in errant form. We're grateful for that, Lord. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And we just pray, Lord, that You would move us today together, collectively, that You would unite us, unite us, that we would be of one spirit and purpose, like-minded. Lord, that people would look in from Eagle and Gypsum and the rest of this valley, look into this church and desire to be a part of it. And in our own circles of influence, in our own jobs, God, may they even see that our lives are different, that we're salt and light, and may our people articulate to them the gospel through good deeds. And Lord, if necessary, when they ask, like Paul told us, that we be able to give a reason, that our conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, and like Peter said, that we be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. I thank you for these precious saints. I pray the Word of God would become alive. I pray that we just get a desire and a hunger and a thirst to know you better and better. May we examine our hearts in the next few minutes, Lord God, confess our sins before you, and then partake of the Lord's Supper together. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.